If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts 13 and verse 22, and immediately following reading there, we're going to turn back over to 1 Samuel 13. But to begin with, Acts 13 and 22, we want to catch something from Paul's message here. I'm back on the series that we've been preaching on godly ladies and gentlemen. We left that alone for a couple weeks because the Lord stirred me up in some different directions, but today we want to go back to that. And you ladies that have been listening to this series, surely you, you, you don't think now that I'm biased you know, against the ladies because this is many more sermons towards the men. <laughs> I preached three, I think, towards the ladies, godly ladies from the Word of God. And now we've been hammering, if you will, on the men for a while So anyway, I believe that's of the Lord, and certainly us men and young men and boys, we need to hear things from the Word of God that teach us about how to be godly men and how young men will eventually be godly men one day. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum, and it just doesn't happen just overnight. So we talk about being a man after God's own heart. That's where we are this morning, being a man after God's own heart. Let's read in Acts 13. And we're going to pick up pretty much in the middle of this sermon that Paul is giving a history of the Jewish people. Acts 13 and verse 22, it says, When he had removed him, speaking of King Saul, the first king of Israel, when God had removed Saul, God, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he, God, Jehovah, gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now this is a quote from 1 Samuel 13, where we pick up right in the middle of another situation that's going on in the Old Testament. So here in in the New Testament, Paul says that God referred to David. His testimony towards David was, that he was a man after God's own heart. And to know where that occurs, you look at 1 Samuel 13. This is where it occurs. And we begin reading in verse 11. Samuel said to Saul, What hast thou done? Saul was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. The people desired a king. God didn't desire a king. But the people desired a king, and God gave them Saul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin. And Samuel said to Saul, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, or when you said you were going to come, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, Saul says, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Now, you know, in and of itself, a burnt offering is not a bad thing. But the problem is, Samuel had told Saul, when you go out to battle, you wait for me to get there, and as the priest, I will offer the burnt offering to bless the battle. And so Samuel is running a little late, and Saul loses his nerve, and so Saul just goes ahead and does it. He does the work of a priest, and he's the king, you see. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, If you understand anything about the heart of God, anything that God says is a big deal. And so God said, wait, Samuel will come. He'll make the offering. Saul didn't wait. And now in verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. It's interesting, isn't it? 
But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, it was many, many years later, 10 to 15 years later, before the man that he's referring to actually took the throne. And it's a good thing that Samuel didn't give Saul David's name at that point because Saul may have hired somebody to go kill him. That's how Saul was. Now listen, there's no question in the Word of God that Saul was a child of God. But it's a big difference between a child of God like Saul who will squander and not do anything with what God has given him and mess it up as opposed to a man like David who would go forward with the will of God. That's one of the keys and the clues to understanding why David is referred to by God as a man after God's own heart. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, but what about what David did when he was in his 50s? (laughs) You know, that thing with Bathsheba where he murdered her husband and committed adultery and all. That's a terrible stain on the reputation of David. But it doesn't take away from the context of what God is talking about. Remember, God is dealing with the king of his nation, the Saul. And he says, here's a king that won't do what I tell him to do when it comes to the administration of his kingdom. So as I speak to you about this subject today, my heart for the Lord in in representing this to you is that to be a man after God's own heart means that a child of God, a man, woman, or child, but specifically we speak of a man after God's own heart, is one who is concerned about the administration of God's kingdom. Some people might say, well, aren't we waiting for that millennial kingdom to come? Let me tell you, child of God, you can't read the teachings of Jesus. You can't read the teachings of the apostles. You can't read the teachings from the book of Acts. The kingdom of God is here now. And the visible part of that kingdom is the church of God. You see, some people say, well, the church was just a sort of a parenthesis because Jesus didn't get done what he really came to do. You know, so, well, the Lord said, well, it didn't quite go like I wanted it to. So I'll just set up the church and then, you know, in a, however many thousands of years, I'll come and do something else. That's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that Jesus successfully implemented the kingdom of God in the first message that Peter preaches in the book of Acts. He says that when Christ ascended the throne in heaven, that he was ascending the throne of David. And he sits as a king today. Why do you think so many people fall away from the church of God? Why do you think so many people are not interested? Because they forget that their king reigns. They've been told so many years that a kingdom is coming. A kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. And you can see it in the church of God. So let's be allegiant to the king. You see, God is saying, Saul would not do what I commanded him to do. So I'm going to put a man in office as a king who will do what I commanded him to do. And I know maybe some of you men or young men or boys are saying, yeah, well, you know, we don't have a kingdom here in this world. You know, we're a different kind of government. I'm not talking about the kingdoms of this world. I'm not talking about the republics and the democracies and the dictatorships. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. That's an invisible kingdom in the sense of the spirit of God. But it's also visible through your presence and your activity in the kingdom of God. And the Lord said here in this particular time, he said, I'm going to set up a man over my physical kingdom and he's going to do what I tell him to do. Now watch this. He says in verse 14, the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Now why David? I don't want you to think, well, David was unique in the sense that, 
you know, he was better looking than everybody else or he had some, you know, charismatic quality about him that just made him stand out. You'll see, if you read about the life of David, that was not the case. I want you to understand that David is special in God's sight because God has already touched his heart. He's born him again. The Lord's already tried a different route in terms of Saul was taller than anybody. He was better looking than anybody. He was a man. He walked as physically as a man among men. He would have been like a, you know, an NFL standout or some type of sport standout. I mean, he was a tall guy and he stood head and shoulders literally above all the others. But the Lord doesn't look on the outward, you see? The Lord looks on the heart. And he said, I found a man after my own heart. But don't ever forget, it doesn't mean that, oh, David, you know, he won a lottery or he, you know, he just somehow had something within him. There was nothing good about David other than what God had put in him. But don't miss this. Saul being a born-again child of God, David being a born-again child of God, look at the difference in how they conducted themselves. So you as a child of God can conduct yourself in a way that honors God and live up to what God has given you. Or you can live down to it like Saul did. And look at the terrible situation that Saul put the nation in and put his family in. Led ultimately to the death of his own children, several of his own children, because of the way he mishandled the kingdom. Let's don't be guilty of that. Now, this is interesting from a historical standpoint because this is not Samuel's first rodeo, if you'll let me say it like that. This is not Samuel's first dealing with somebody who wouldn't do what they were supposed to do as the anointed of God or as one that was instructed of God. You may remember when Samuel was a little boy and his mother Hannah had made that vow to God and turned him over to be adopted by Eli the priest. Samuel was a little boy during the days when Eli was removed from office. You know, Eli was an unfaithful priest because he would not, he taught the Word of God, he taught the Moses' law, but he would not instruct his children. You remember his sons, Hophni and Phinehas? They were terrible. They were awful people. And, and the children of God in Israel in those days dreaded and hated going up to church, going up to the temple to worship and to the tabernacle to sacrifice because Eli would not instruct his sons and restrain them from doing the terrible things they were doing. Don't you know that when they saw little five, six, seven-year-old Samuel over there and his little priest, his little miniature priest robes, you know, with his little ephod on his chest with the 12 tribes on his chest. He's a little bitty fellow. You know, they looked over there and they saw Hophni and Phinehas and they're running around with wild women and committing adultery and threatening people and bullying people. And they dreaded to go up and worship God. But praise be to God, there were those like Elkanah who would still go anyway. That ought to be a lesson to us in the church of God. It's not always a rose garden in the church of God. There's times whenever you have bumps in the road. There's times whenever you have craters in the road. There's times whenever bridges have to be built across great divides. You understand that? But keep focusing on the kingdom of God and doing like the people did in those days. Even though these wicked sons of Eli were messing up everybody's experience with church, they held on the way and they continued to worship. And they'd go up there eventually and they'd see little Samuel. 
He'd be over there just as, I, I think he was just as cute a little fella as you could see. He's over there maybe lighting the candles near outside the tabernacle or whatever. And they'd see all this mess going on with Hophni and Phinehas. And they'd say, oh, there's, isn't that cute? Man, there, maybe we've got a future. I tell you, when I look upon the young people of this church and I say, well, maybe we've got a future. Praise God. You know, I'm not as young as I was whenever I started preaching here. It's been 20 plus years. And I was just thinking about hearing the little noises of the babies back there in the back praise god i can remember when we were over there and sometimes it's so it was so loud in that smaller room that you couldn't hardly hear me preach but i I thought you know it's been kind of quiet in terms of babies for just a few short years (laughs) now we got those babies crying again praise god maybe there's a future for this church this is not samuel's first rodeo he dealt the removal of eli the lord said i will take you down eli and i'll raise me up a faithful priest he raised up samuel Samuel may not have come along the bloodline of the priestly line, but he certainly was in, adopted into it. Isn't that a lesson for us on the mercy of God? And so Samuel has already dealt with things like this. And now Samuel's probably in his 40s or 50s or maybe 60s. And Samuel being the last judge of Israel, Samuel now is dealing with the removal of the king. He's already seen the removal of a priest that wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. Now he's dealing with the removal of a king, King Saul. So you see, Samuel has been here before. It's interesting how the experiences of our life sometimes prepare us for things that we have no idea are coming. That's what the book of Romans speaks of, where experience, it works patience through the things that we deal with. You know, it gives us experiences. I ask you, child of God, are your experiences in life softening your heart or are they hardening your heart? God intends through His Spirit for the experiences that you go through, many of which He doesn't even send. It's just the things He doesn't send to us. They just come to us because we live in a fallen world. But the question is, are we hardening our hearts? Are we softening our hearts? I tell you, you want to be a man or woman or a child after God's own heart, you'll let the Spirit of God soften your heart and teach your heart. I don't think the reason that I cry more and more at at things that happen in movies that I don't think it's just because I'm an old softy grandfather. Now, that does have something to do with it a little bit. But I pray and believe that the Lord is just tendering my heart more and more through the experiences of life and the things that I go through. Lord, please don't let my heart harden through these experiences of life. You see, I want to be tender. Speaking of babies crying, (laughs) it's okay. So Samuel has been here before. He's dealt with the removal of Eli, and now he's dealing with the removal of King Saul. So why David? Why does he say David is a man after God's own heart? First of all, remember, David's a born-again child of God. You, you say, can we really know that? Yes, we can know that because David said in the Psalms that I was born again when I was just a toddler. He said I was made to hope when I was being held in my mother's arms. Such a beautiful sight seeing some of you mothers and fathers holding your babies in your arms. As you sit there and you hold that baby, you think about David because David was born again, not because he heard the gospel, not because a parent told him he needed to or a preacher told him he needed to, but like Brother Luke said, the Word of God says that he was born again by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. He was born again as just a little toddler. We know he was born again because he said he was. How does he know that? Because the Spirit revealed that to him and he wrote it down in the Psalms. Listen to this now. God says... He is a man after mine own heart. You want to be a man after God's own heart? Then this is what that means. After his own heart. It means to think like and feel like God thinks and feels towards certain things. Are you listening to me? To think like 
and feel like God feels towards certain things. Now you think about how you feel and you think about towards certain things. And it's astonishing if you've had experiences like I have that very often I have found that the way I think and the way I feel about certain things may not line up with what God thinks and feels about certain things. You see? Mighty quiet in here this morning. Do you think and feel toward certain things as God thinks and feels? God said, I'm going to put David in office because David thinks and feels like I think and feel. You say, can we really think and feel like God? Child of grace, you have the Spirit of God within you. You have a resource within you, an eternal resource within you that corresponds with what the Word of God says. So yes, you can, to a certain extent, in a sinful frame, you can think and feel towards certain things the way that God thinks and feels. He says in the book of Acts, if you remember 13 and 22, he says, this is a man, David, that shall fulfill all my will when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, again, David didn't always do the right thing. David didn't always say the right thing, didn't act the right way. That's not the point he's making. Don't think, well, here's a standard set so high with David. I'll never be a man after God's own heart. Do you see the things that David did when he failed in his life? (laughs) You know, think about it. David has failed in ways beyond ways that I hope any of you ever fail. I hope none of you ever murder someone for selfish gain. Gain. I hope none of you ever do the things that David did in taking another man's wife. You see, he did terrible things. So don't don't sit there and say, I can't be a man after God's own heart. Those things are not after God's heart. You understand that? He was just a sinner. He was one that was capable of being tempted just like you and me. But when it came to the administration of God's kingdom, when it came to what, what David, how he thought and he felt towards certain things, he felt and thought just like God did. Okay, let's consider that. You remember the guide of the government in those days in Israel was Moses' law, right? They were under Moses' law. So David obviously knew something about Moses' law, and he took it to heart. You know, you say, well, how can we know anything about Moses' law? Well, a good start is the Ten Commandments. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The principles of the Ten Commandments. So David was the eighth son of Jesse. He was the keeper of the sheep. He was anointed, after we read here in 1 Samuel 13, The next chapter, Samuel goes on and anoints David as the king, the future king. David was probably 13, 14 years old. That would be some kind of burden to bear, would it not? Now, I don't fully know if David understood everything about what was going on at the time, but Samuel goes and he anoints David in secret because he knew how Saul was going to respond to this if he knew about it. David was also a cunning player on the psaltery, or the, it wasn't a guitar, but it would be like a harp, a little handheld harp that he could make music on. And my goodness, did he not make amazing music, the Psalms? I want you to think about it. He was also a warrior. You know, when I think of David, I think of a term that was popular years ago, it may still be today, a Renaissance man. You know, I, you don't want to be a Renaissance man in, in the sense of the Renaissance, but David was diversified, you see? You know, he could keep sheep, he could play the, the psaltery, he could play the harp, you know, he could go out and battle. You know, he was not helpless. I I fear that in many circumstances today and in our culture today that people are just getting more and more helpless. They just can't do anything for themselves. Well, a man after God's own heart, David, was capable of doing things 
And I'm not saying, well, he's, you know, he's got to be able to drive a tractor like me or he's got to be able to do this or that. I'm not saying the specific things that he... But to be diversified in terms of your abilities to serve God. David could serve God keeping the sheep. David could serve God in chasing away wolves. David could serve God when he went out on the battlefield. David could serve God whenever he wrote the Psalms. Now, I want you to think about the Psalms. David wrote deep, meditative, and insightful Psalms. You know, today, I think one of the problems when it comes to being godly men, and I put myself in this category, is we don't know how to show our feelings. How many times, if, if you've had this experience, how many times have I just felt emotion come up over me and, and tears well up in my eyes, and I, it's the conviction of the Lord, or maybe conviction over something I did, or just something that just touches me, and I just kind of stuff that back down. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a man to let tears go down my face. <laughs> Well, I'm not a man like David, if that's the way I am. You see, we stuff our emotions, especially in our culture. Men have, have been taught to stuff their emotions. That, that's a problem. Listen, how in the, especially if you're married, how in the world is your wife ever going to know your feelings if all you do is stuff them? So I had this thought. Some of you, maybe like me, you're, just, you're clueless about it, the map to even start that. Okay, So I had a thought, just an epiphany sitting over here. Y'all like that word? An epiphany. And I was thinking, how could I, how could you as a man who's always stuffed his feelings and never shared his feelings, how could we start working on that? How could I start working on that? And I thought, you know what? It's laid out right for me right here in the Psalms. So all you got to do, man, whenever you're stuffing it and your wife's going, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? Tell me about it. You know, stuff it and, you know, go scream at a tree or something, you know, out in the woods. <laughs> go to the Psalms. I promise you. If you'll read probably within 10 to 20 psalms, you'll come across the emotion that you're feeling. And then when you come across that emotion, you say, this is it, this is Psalm 75, this is Psalm 40, this is Psalm... You know, take that psalm to your wife and say, this is me right here. Read this. I'm clueless. I'm a dummy. I don't know how to say it. But David said it right here. Now, that's a man after God's own heart. You don't know where to start. And guess what? After you do that a few times, here I am, Psalm 14. Here I am, Psalm this, Psalm that. After a while, it may begin to register in your mind, I can speak, I can say these things. You know why I'm kind of hammering on this is because I've been there. I, I don't know sometimes what to say. I just stuff it. Find the psalm that expresses what you're going through and just say, honey, read this. And she'll come back to you and say, you poor sap. <laughs> Instead of saying, what's wrong with you? Why don't you ever talk to me? Share your feelings with me. She'll come back and say, I'm so sorry for you. You're in bad shape. <laughs> you already know you're in bad shape anyway. Because you can't express your feelings. Find the psalm. You say, Brother Tim, I don't know where to start. Call me. What am I here for? I'll help you find them. What are you feeling? How's it going? Well, you can't even say it. Well, then there's a few of those in there that says, I can't even speak it. I can't even say it. Isn't that amazing? The most deep, meditative, insightful things that you'll ever find are in the Word of God where David expresses himself. And I guarantee you that many times when the Holy Spirit took over him and he began to write those things that there were just tears pouring out of his face. I tell you what, if you've never had it, there is just nothing like a good, heartfelt cry. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting let's all, brothers, let's all get together and have some cry party. I'm, I don't know if that would work. I'd be a little intimidated by that too. But the next time you're dealing with your feelings, go find the psalm that applies to your feelings and share it with your dear ones. Whether you're a, a child, a son in the house, or whatever it may be, daughter, it doesn't matter. There's nobody that could express your experience better than the Holy Spirit of God. And it's right here in front of us. Psalm 78. This is where the Lord speaks about 
appointing and anointing David. Psalm 78, and if you'll look at verse 67, that's a long psalm. It says, Moreover, he, God, refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. You notice he says, I passed over Joseph, passed over Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion which he loved. You want to do a little side study on that? Just think about the providence in the area that Judah, the tribe of Judah, settled. It was in the area of Mount Zion. Anyway, I'm not going to chase that rabbit trail. But the Lord says, I love Mount Zion. That's where Judah had settled. And guess what? That's where David comes from. He was living in the right place at the right time, wasn't he? It says he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. Listen to this beautiful picture. While Saul is over there ruining the kingdom, while he's over there disobeying God and not doing things that he should do, God has his omnipotent and sovereign eye on the little hills of Bethlehem. As he looks over there in that little village, that little seven miles south of Jerusalem, nowhere town, nowhere place. It was just a village. And out there on the hill somewhere, the omnipotent eye, the all-seeing eye of God, while Saul is, is making, wreaking havoc in the kingdom and disobeying God, the Lord has got his eye on this little boy that's sitting out there keeping at the sheep. And he sees him from, and he sees him following the ewes. Verse 71, great with young. And he brought uh, David to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. How about that? What better training ground to be a king than to be a little old shepherd boy? You think about the terrible political scene today where there's so much division. And I mean, you think about what, where can a future leader or a future elected official go to get trained to lead a nation? I shudder to think about the places and the machinations and the strategies of wicked men and women who would devise ways to raise up their own type of leader. Well, God's type of leader is just a little old shepherd boy who's sitting out there tending to the ewes that are great with young. That means they were expecting baby sheep. Isn't that amazing how God's view is of His King? He watched him out there as a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old boy. How was he acting? How was he treating those sheep? He took great care to help the ewes birth their lambs. He took great care to chase the wolves away. You see, you could not be the type of shepherd that David was and just seek your own glory. You understand that? When David's father, Jesse, sent him out there to care... For, there's a reason why the eighth son was out there. There's more than one reason. First of all... He was the low man on the totem pole, as they say. He was the eighth son. He's the last son of Jesse, the youngest. So send him out there and tend the sheep. But I think it was even more than that. Jesse knew that this was a boy that would, that would fulfill the will of the heart of Jesse, his father. Take care of those sheep, boy. He saw in David a quality that was very careful towards the sheep of God. I'm going to bring my thoughts to a close this morning. I've got more to say about David. I'm about halfway through. We'll pause it and continue it to next time. But I want to leave you with that thought. A man after God's own heart will think and feel towards certain things in the same way that God thinks and feels towards certain things. And the last thing I ring the bell in your mind is towards the sheep of God. You understand that? 
God saw David down there doing what his father told him to do. Jesse said, go tend to the sheep. And David was not going to be satisfied with a wolf or a bear coming along and taking one of those sheep. David, the little boy, with a sling and a rock in his hand, would, and maybe a knife, or, and we know a staff, he would not let that bear or that wolf take that little sheep, that little lamb away. He was going to leave the 99, and he was going to go after the one. Does that sound familiar? I'll tell you, the ultimate man after God's own heart obviously is the Lord Jesus Christ who would not suffer the loss of one of His little sheep in the administration of His kingdom. And won't that be glorious one day in heaven? There won't be the loss of one because we have a man on the throne, the man Christ Jesus, who is a man, the man God after God's own heart. He is God. But in David, we can certainly learn and understand why he was a man after God's own heart. He cared about the sheep. He thought and felt towards the sheep that he was in charge of in the same way that God thought and felt towards his own people, his own sheep. What a training ground. You want a training ground to be a man, woman, or child, but specifically we speak of the men, Young men, boys, you want to be a man after God's own heart? How do you think and feel towards the sheep of God? When you're on the backside of nowhere and feel like you're a nobody, like David probably often did, how do you think and feel towards the sheep of God? That's one of the keys, one of the reasons that David was a man after God's own heart. We'll pause there and take this up, Lord willing, next time.